From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. How many hours a day do you spend on electronic devices? Do you walk down the sidewalk looking at your smartphone? Are you able to get through a meal without being online? Today on HealthLink on Air, we'll talk about smartphone addiction with John Ringheisen. He's a board-certified psychiatric nurse practitioner and an addiction and pain fellow at Upstate University Hospital. Welcome to HealthLink on Air. Thanks. Glad to be here. Now, addiction is a strong word. Can you define what an addiction is? It is kind of a strong word, and an addiction, the way that we're looking at it nowadays, is anything that you feel like is starting to impair your ability to function or get through the day. So a lot of the things that you were talking about, being able to walk, being able to drive, being able to get through a meal, being able to cope with things in a manner that's healthy, when those start to be impaired by either substance use or in this case a behavior, that's when we start to question whether or not you're becoming addicted to a substance or a behavior. So a person, if the person wanted to tell whether they're addicted to something, they kind of need to ask themselves whether it's impairing their ability, right? Right, because the impairment and the effect on functionality, especially when you start getting into diagnostic criteria, is one of the things that we have to be very careful about in our clinical interviewing process. Because if there's no impairment, there's no diagnosis to be given to the patient at that point. So the things I described, like walking down a sidewalk, looking at your smartphone, or um, not being able to get through a meal without grabbing the the phone to, to check something, are those problems? Are those like, I mean, impairing someone's? It really comes down to where's the impairment. So there's not an impairment personally with those individuals. You're able to walk down the street staring at your phone constantly. You're able to get through a meal and, and do two things at once, or you think you are, but how related are you to the people around you? Is it impacting how you interact with your family? Is it redefining your relationships in your family or with your loved ones? And that's where we see a lot of the impairments starting to happen, where those emotional concerns or a lot of those alarm bells that go off with depression and anxiety that start to crop up because you're constantly spending your time in this behavior versus interacting face-to-face with people, that's where the impairment comes from. So are people addicted to the smartphone device or the electronic, or are they addicted to the social media connectedness that that device uh, provides? A lot of times when we're looking at addiction, we're looking at somebody that's trying to dissociate or trying to avoid some kind of an emotion. And so the thought and the idea behind addiction is starting to evolve where we're looking at more What is the impairment and what is the emotion that you're trying to avoid by engaging in this behavior? And devices are very easy to get addicted to because we can manipulate them in whatever way that we want. If I'm anxious, I swipe left. I'm not anxious anymore. I'm feeling really sad about something. I don't like the news. I can X out of it, bring up a game, and I can avoid and not have to deal with the emotional responses that are being triggered by my day-to-day real life. So uh, thinking about smartphones, they're more than just um, games or social connected. I mean, there are clocks, there are banking, there are calendar. They're, yep. they're more than just a phone too, right? Yeah, and that's one of the things where, you know, those are functional things that we do on our phones nowadays. If you're doing a lot of stuff on your phone and you're spending a lot of time on your phone doing those things, we don't look at that as an addiction because that's functionality that you're performing 
Through your phone, the phone is the tool that you've adapted to and allowed your banking and everything else to process through now. It's when we start getting into this idea of, okay, am I missing out? Fear of missing out on something with social media is a big one. We call it FOMO now. We even have a term for it that's in our language now. We're adapting in ways that are changing our behavior because we can't handle the emotional strain that it's causing. So FOMO, uh, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Who is most affected by FOMO? The people that we're finding in the literature that are most affected by FOMO are adolescents because their entire lives, their entire identities, sometimes their entire personality is so wrapped up into that perception of who am I online, what do people see, and what do I present to the public? And that's generally through social media that's on the device. So their personality starts to get projected into this kind of false reality, this idealized lie that we put out there to people of this is who I am I'm happy all the time I'm doing all these wonderful things and it just isn't true so are older people just sort of less affected by that because they've lived long enough to know that that's not true (laughs) some of it is that but we do see it starting to crop up in some of the elderly population as well where it's this idea that okay I am missing out I don't know how to use technology I'm not as fluent in this language that everybody's speaking as far as text emojis and everything else and so they feel left behind and so we're seeing this kind of reverse FOMO where the fear of missing out isn't so much in the actual device and the actual engagement with the social media it's I don't know how to use it because it can be overwhelming there's new stuff all the time so how do you go about advising people um, to reduce the their fears about missing out how do you counsel someone that is really having trouble with this really it comes down to um kind of an analogy that I use a lot when I'm doing a lot of my clinical interviewing with people trying to figure out what's going on. First, we kind of look at the behavior and the analogy I use is you're in the house and it's on fire and the smoke alarm is going off. That's your anxiety, that's your depression, that's your emotions trying to get through to you to say, wake up, something's wrong. You've got one of two choices in what you can do. You can get up and take the smoke, the battery out of the smoke alarm and go back to sleep and burn down in the house or you can get up and put out the fire. So where I approach people with fear of missing out and a lot of these behaviors that they engage in, and especially with substance use, is we get to what's the emotion and why are you trying to avoid it? Why are you so intolerant and why can you not tolerate face-to-face interaction? Why can you not tolerate dealing with these emotional cues that your body is throwing at you during the day? Interesting. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with John Ringheisen, a board-certified psychiatric nurse practitioner at Upstate, and we're talking about smartphone addiction. Um, so smartphones, tablets, these are ubiquitous. They're a huge part of modern American life. Right. So, but you're not saying that their existence is bad. I mean, they're there, and they have functional purpose. Correct. Um, is everyone who has a smartphone prone to addiction? To the smartphone? The possibility is there because it's one of those addictions where because it's a behavior and you engage in it, there's a lot of rationalization that gets involved and wrapped up in it. I'm doing this because I have to do this. I need to be engaged with my patients. I need to be engaged with what's going on at work so I can be more effective and more productive and get that promotion. And so there's a lot of defense mechanisms that start to crop up or you minimize. I'm not really on it that much. I don't 
I only do it when I'm working. I only do these things, you know, the banking and everything else. I'm only on my phone during those moments, or I'm only on it during certain times of the day. So I need to be able to be, reach my kids, or my kids need to be able to reach me. And exactly. That's a really pervasive one that people fall into a lot. And so that's where you have to really evaluate what's the drive behind why I'm picking up the phone and why I'm swiping through all these things. Is it really something that I need to be engaged in, or is it really my anxiety, my inability to cope with these emotions that's driving the reason why I'm constantly engaging with the device rather than a person. Are there ways to prevent becoming addicted to your devices? That's a question that I get a lot is, is there anything preventative that we can do when it comes to substance use? It really comes down to the fight a lot of times is not about the phone. Take a look at the relationships that you're in. What is it about those relationships that's not as good as it should be? Or what is it about your emotional response to how you feel and how you react to those relationships that you're finding intolerant that you just want to avoid or bury in your smartphone or by isolating? So it's not so much a matter of things that you do that you can stack up and try to avoid yourself from, because I mean, there's apps out there that force you to swipe up left ground and do the hokey pokey before you get into your phone, but... People do the hokey pokey all day long and they constantly get into the phone. So it really comes down to, again, getting to that drive. What is it that's causing you to get into the phone so much? So taking a real clear look at your relationships and how you interact with people and why having a face-to-face interaction with somebody is a hard thing to do is what's going to pull you away from wanting to have a device that you can manipulate and mold into your ideal view of the world constantly in your face. There's got to be people who manage to handle uh, their smartphones in a healthy way. So Mm -hmm. what can we learn from those people? What are they doing right that we could, you know, mimic? Some of the things are, you know, just bringing into the unconscious, you know, these kind of behaviors that we automatically do during the day, the rationalization, the minimization, the defense mechanisms that we don't even think about. So some of those apps that you can put on your phone that say, do you want in? Do you really want in? Is what you're in wanting to get into the phone for really that important? Some of those things are good because it just heightens that awareness of the behavior. Other things that you can do are the timers and a lot of the other things that track your behavior on the phone. How much time are you spending on games? How much time are you really in that banking application? Again, increases that awareness of what am I really doing on my phone? What kind of time am I really spending on my phone when I'm unlocking it each time? So when people seek treatment for substance use or or, uh, gambling disorders, aren't they also checked for underlying medical conditions? Because I'm wondering... Is that the case for people who, you know, say, I've got a problem, I'm addicted to my phone? Do they need to be looked at to see whether they've got an underlying medical thing going on? Not as much with behavioral. With substance use, sometimes it's more prevalent because the substance is replacing something that is absent or not working well or just kind of medically off in the individual. With a behavioral addiction like gambling or an impulse disorder of some kind, we really look at an underlying mental health diagnosis. Is this person driving manic because they're bipolar? Are they delusional because they're in some kind of psychosis that's either been substance-induced or that is because they're sleep-deprived? Is it something that 
has an ADHD flavor to it where the phone is the fidget or the distraction or the constant lack of focus that's pulling them away from what they really need to be doing. So it's not as much from a medical sense as much as it is from a mental health stance that we do rule out some of the underlying conditions. How do you suggest parents help their kids um, establish healthy relationships with electronics? Wow, that's a really great question. And those healthy relationships with the electronics start with having healthy relationships with people. Understanding that relationships with people are what are real in the world. And that's not what's been edited and presented online through social media or even through gaming platforms or any of the other devices that you mentioned before that are constantly out there, constantly in our faces. So helping younger kids and especially adolescents when they start getting more independent, realizing what a healthy relationship is and building that self-confidence and that self-esteem so that they feel comfortable putting a genuine, accurate representation of themselves out in the world to be judged by other people. That is where having a healthy relationship with a person becomes very important and becomes a higher priority in their lives and the devices fall away and they don't become as reliant upon them. And they don't end up having fear of missing out. Exactly, because they know that the device is not the reality, the device is not truth. They know that that's a misrepresentation of reality and that reality is what they experience firsthand when they have actual relationships with people. So it's a lot more than just trying to regulate screen time. Correct. Okay. Well, let me ask you, how do you advise people who want to get back to a life from before smartphones were everywhere? <laughs> is Can you do that? Can you just disconnect from your phone, put it away? Can you, can you, is that realistic? It all has to do with your ability to tolerate not having that constantly in your face. Um, this is kind of like a little bit of what we do with what we call exposure therapy. And sometimes if you flood somebody with the ex- stimulus or whatever it is that provokes the anxiety, it, it's too much. It's too anxiety provoking and that becomes a problem. But yes, the idea of taking device vacations or having your Wi-Fi or whatever you're using to connect to the internet that is allowing these devices to engage with the rest of the world, set on timers so that they shut off when you're having a meal with your family and it it kind of forces or prompts that face-to-face engagement. Those are all great ways that you can, again, increase that awareness, increase that exposure to the emotions that you're finding intolerable and start learning those skills that are necessary to deal with somebody face-to-face. Well, thank you to nurse practitioner John Ringheisen. He's a board-certified psychiatric nurse practitioner at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.